following clips were from a sermon I came across recorded six years ago and ministered by Alistair Begg entitled In Christ Jesus. The reason this is so important is because it establishes your identity as a believer. You believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is your identity. You are in Christ Jesus. You're not in, it doesn't mean that uh, because you have an admiration for Jesus, because you like the ethics of the Sermon on the Mount, because you are able to rehearse the creeds. No, it means that you, by grace, through faith, have been personally, organically, brought into a relationship with Jesus, which can only be described in this terminology, in the mystery of it, in the wonder of it, in the, in the entire nature of it. And it's vital that we understand it, because if we don't understand it as individuals and as a congregation, then we will tell the wrong story and we will lead people up the wrong path. What we're talking about here is what God has done for us in Jesus. The authentic follower of Jesus is in him. Therefore, since you have been united with Christ, it is absolutely incongruous for you then to engage in that which he who is now your Lord and King has told you is off limits. You can take it all the way down the line. Society says you are what you have amassed. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Society says it's the tough guys that win. Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Society says, give as good as you get. Get them back. Jesus says, forgive your enemies and do nice things to those who can't stand you. So he says, what is the impetus for this? It is that you are united with Christ. It is not that you've decided to be religious. It is not that you've determined to live a better life. In fact, you even surprise yourself because you know yourself to be sinful. You know how easy it is to be tempted. And the answer to it is not to pull the shutters up and run for your life. The answer is to remind yourself who you are. This is who I am. I am a new creation. I died with him. I have been raised with him. He ascended and I ascended with him. I have been seated with him in the heavenly places. It is absurd. It's not impossible. But that's the appeal, you see. Dementia is a dreadful thing, is it not? When people go older, especially, I guess, pre-senile dementia, where there is a loss of identity, people no longer know who they are. You find them in the street. They have no way of identifying where they're going and what they're doing. It's a terrible thing. But what is an even worse thing is for that to happen. In that case, you've known who you are and you've forgotten who you are. But in the case of some of us in Jesus, we've never known who we are. <laughs> we've never known who we are. We've got a kind of dementia as it relates to our identity. And that's why Paul 160 plus times says to his readers again and again and again, you need to know who you are. You need to know that your life is Christ's life. And when you go from Romans 6 into Colossians 3, as I suggested, it comes across with great clarity. Indeed, I've already been dipping into it. You can, you can sense that when you turn to Colossians 3. If then, or since then, equally good, if then, since then, you have been raised with Christ, what does that mean? Well, we've been united with Christ. 
That's his argument in Ephesians 1. The same power, he said, that raised Jesus from the dead is the power that has been unleashed in your life to bring you from death to life. He was raised and you were raised with him. He has ascended and you have ascended too. In other words, this is absolutely done and certain. It's not questionable. We are both in Christ and we are in Cleveland. We are raised and we're down here. We are both perfect and horribly imperfect. Perfect in the righteousness of Christ. He looks on us and he sees us in his son. Our wives look on us and they don't see us like that. We look on ourselves and if we look inside of ourselves, there's only reason for discouragement. There's only reason for disappointment. Because I haven't done what I said I would do. I've done what I said I wouldn't do. I was going to do this and I didn't do that. And I probably did it again and so on. So where do I look? Well, I look to my identity. I am in Christ, a new creation. That's what he's saying. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and here's this amazing phrase, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. My life is hidden with Christ in God. What does the Christ-centered life look like? Do you struggle to understand this in your own understanding? Perhaps you have heard teachings mentioning Jesus Christ almost on the periphery of Christianity, while heavily emphasizing other areas and beliefs. Well, today, let's submit together to the Word of God and being recalibrated to understand the Christ-centered life, feasting on His Word, and being satisfied and refreshed by Him and Him alone. Hi there, and welcome to the Love Six Scribe podcast, where we talk about biblical truths, current topics, and where we grow in loving the Word and loving the One who is the Word, Jesus Christ. I am Dawn Hill, and I am the Love Six Scribe. In Philippians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul was addressing the fellow believers in Philippi and encouraging them in the word and speaking of his own um, credentials, if you will, as dung, essentially, and that they were rubbish. They were not worth comparing to knowing Christ. In verse 10, this is one of the verses that many people love to reflect upon, myself included. Paul tells them that he may know Christ and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Verse 11, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And when I looked at my ESV study Bible in the footnotes, it had this to say about verse 10, 11, which I think will be helpful to us. It says, the goal of trusting in Christ is to know him, that is to know Christ in a personal relationship. And also to know the power of his resurrection, namely the power Christ exerts now from the right hand of God. But this power is made known as the believer shares the same kind of sufferings Jesus faced, the sufferings that attend faithful witness in a fallen world. The good news is that those who suffer with and for Christ will attain the resurrection from the dead, even as he did. This is wonderful news for us as believers in Christ. And as I've thought about this topic this week, and if you've heard me talk recently, you've heard me discuss areas of concern and beliefs and practices that I came out of and that are still going on and continue to be widespread. And one of those was deliverance, um, just to name one of them among several. You may wonder, is this tied to the Christ-centered life and understanding that? Well, I would pose it this way, is that I believe that this is 
integral to that discussion in and of itself, because there are probably a lot of people that don't understand what it means to have a Christ-centered life as a believer. When I think about the fact of when you talk about topics like that, like deliverance, that it seems as if that Jesus is on the periphery, and there are other things pushed to the center or the focus much more so than the gospel, than understanding sanctification, than understanding true um, biblical study and, and literacy and understanding that you have fellowship with God through his word, through prayer, through gathering with the corporate body, through uh, worship and song, also worship through your life and the day-to-day things that you do in word and deed in service others. And so I wanted to talk today, I felt like this would be a good topic for you to glean from and for myself to recalibrate, as I said, and to, to understand daily and remind ourselves daily that as Christians, as born again believers, we are to have lives that are centered upon Jesus Christ. As Christians, we need to understand who we are in Christ. And there's lots of people that are searching for that. They want to be reminded of their identity in Christ. And they may take the scripture properly or improperly to understand that. And they may emphasize things that really aren't emphasized as much as Christ is emphasized and understanding what it truly means to have a that Christ-centered life. And so I wanted to talk about this today, and I also wanted to help you and I both, again, to focus on Jesus in every season, in in every mountaintop moment, in every valley moment that we have, in every area of our lives, that we are drawn back to the truth of the Word of God and to the truth of who Jesus Christ is to us, and that we remember As Alistair Begg was reading in Colossians 3, which is another uh, beautiful verse that I love to read, is that we are hidden in Christ with God. So as we go through this, I'm going to talk about the Christ-centered life and different capacities of that, different aspects, different facets in our lives that mean that we have a Christ-centered life, and we'll look at Scripture, and I'll also interject some personal things too, just to share and maybe encourage some of you women that are listening to maybe help you to, to know that you're not alone and to remind you of who your Lord and Savior is and to guide you and direct you back to Scripture. First and foremost, one of the things that we we must remember as believers in Christ is the Christ-centered life is a gospel-centered life, meaning we are continuously reminded daily of our utter need and dependence upon Jesus. I recently started reading this book. I have a bad habit of reading more than one book at one time, but that's just how I tend to do things when I'm reading books. But I recently started reading this book called Respectable Sins. And in this book that's written by Jeff Bridges, it sounds kind of weird from the the title. You think respectable sins. What does that mean? That sounds a little weird. But what he's addressing is, is that the fact that we sometimes as Christians, we tend to categorize sins in our own understanding. And we think, well, you know, I don't murder. I haven't murdered anybody. Um, I don't steal. I don't, uh, I'm not an adulterer. I'm I'm not a fornicator. Um, I'm not um, an, an idolater that I can think of that has a wooden statue. You know, there's different things that we consider based on what scripture has to say. And we tend to compartmentalize and we, we make certain sins worse than the respectable sins that we have, such as worry, anxiety, 
pride, selfishness, anger. There's different things like that that we we look at as respectable sins. And we tend to downplay them and we think, I'm not as bad as this other person. But in the beginning of the book, he talks about the gospel. And this is something I think is so important for all of us to remember. He says, the gospel, though, is only for sinners, for those who recognize their need of it. Many Christians think of the gospel as only for unbelievers. Once we trust in Christ, so the thinking goes, we no longer need the gospel. But as I seek to bring out in this book, the gospel is a vital gift from God, not only for our salvation, but also to enable us to deal with the ongoing activity of sin in our lives. So we still need the gospel every day. And I would agree, we most definitely need to hear the gospel every day. We need to be reminded that there's the hope continuously. Our faith in Christ wasn't just in uh, one moment where we just punched a, a, filled out a card or we made a decision or walked an aisle or we prayed a prayer and that was it and it's a done deal. But we come back continuously and we're reminded when we're reading the word of God that we need to hear the gospel every day. In Romans 1.16, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for the Jew first and then the Greek. And then in verse 17, he goes on to say, For in the gospel a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. A facet of the Christian life is coming back to this and remembering our need for the gospel, and that it's not just for unbelievers, it's for us to remember every single day and to be rejuvenated in the gospel, to be refreshed by the gospel, to understand um, the power of the gospel, the power of Jesus Christ to save us from the wrath of God, from the penalty of sin, and then to bring us into this right relationship with the Father, this ministry of reconciliation that he has brought that we can see in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11, he says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others, but what we are is known to God. And I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. And he died for all that those who might live no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. And then he goes on to talk about that those of us who are in Christ, we are ambassadors for Christ. That means that we are to proclaim the gospel too. We are to proclaim the good news. And this is, again, being Christ-centered. When we are um, proclaiming what the Word of God has to say about Christ and to testify about Jesus Christ, we are um, demonstrating a Christ-centered life, which is gospel-centered. And we make this appeal to people that they would be reconciled to God. 
And so this is one of the biggest things that we must remember as Christians is that the life that we live for Christ that is centered upon him is to be gospel centered. And it has to be the correct gospel, not another gospel that's promising health, wealth, and prosperity all the time. It's not a gospel that's telling you, well, if you'll just do all of these good works, then you'll earn your way to heaven. And if you just keep your salvation um, in check, and if you do all these steps to make sure that you're delivered and or that you are healed or that you do this, this and this, then you're going to make sure that you have everything that you ever desired and, and that you want in life. It's the gospel that's centered upon the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's a gospel that is selfless. So the second thing that you could, and there's lots of different things that you could find in this, but just want to throw some out here for you to think about today. The Christ-centered life is a selfless life. It is a transformed life. It is a crucified life. Jesus Christ told his disciples these very words. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, Jesus told his disciples, if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Does that always mean that we're going to physically give our lives for the gospel and be martyrs? No, not in that capacity, but we are dying to self. When we choose, when we are following Christ, that Christ-centered life that we now live, we live unto him. And we see that we are to die to ourselves. We are to think more highly of others than we do ourselves. That's part of the second command that Jesus gave. The first was to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second was to love your neighbor as yourself. We are instructed through the word that our life is to be a transformed life. As we read in 2 Corinthians 5.17, that the old has passed away, the new has come. If we are in Christ, we are a new creation. And part of being that new creation is um, putting away selfish desires. We can look in many different passages, but let's pick a couple of them. When we go to Colossians again in chapter 3, we read in verse 1, If you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. In verse 5, Paul continues to admonish and to instruct the, the believers in Colossae. He says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have to put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, for Christ is all, but Christ is all and in all. And then he goes on in verse 12 to tell them to put on as God's chosen holy ones and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. 
and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So we can see that Paul is telling the believers there, he's calling them again to come out of those things that are of the old self. We see this in Ephesians 4, when Paul is, is telling the believers in Ephesus that they need to put off the old self and they are to put on Christ. And he instructs them in the manner and the, how they're supposed to conduct themselves again, telling them again to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness, and to put away falsehood in verse 25 of chapter 4 in Ephesians and speak the truth with his neighbor, to, to be angry, but do not sin. And by the way, that's a reference to Psalm chapter 4, verse 4. David actually wrote that in a psalm. One of the things I've heard in deliverance ministry is some people, just as an example, as a side note, people will use this particular verse to say, well, if you're giving the devil an opportunity, as it goes on to say in 27, give no opportunity to the devil, then you're saying you're giving the devil a foothold. Well, that means that you have a demon that comes into your life and that it needs to be cast out. But that's not what that's saying at all. In fact, when you read that in context, Paul is reminding believers, you can be angry, but do not sin. Because when you give a place to sin, when you begin to be bitter towards others, and you let that fester, and then you become divisive, and you're resentful, and, and you're, you have hatred towards people, then that gives place to the devil in that you are agreeing with his nature. You are agreeing with the influence that he could have in this the situation um, or circumstance with another person, and that you are giving a place to that. You're giving a place to it. I just want to interject that as a side note, because I have heard that even fairly recently in using this passage in such a way. But believers here are being told, you can be angry, but do not sin. Um, do not let the sun go down your anger. And he even goes on to continue to encourage them, you know, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Along with all malice, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. It all comes back full circle because, again, the believer is called to be Christ-centered in their life. And this all comes back when Paul is talking about this. He's pointing back to the, the nature of God. He's pointing back to the, the, the Christ-like nature that we are to have, not as divinity, but in what Jesus demonstrated while he was on this earth, and that we are to be clothed in Christ and to be humble, to be meek, to be gentle, to be kind, to be patient slash long-suffering, depending on how you want to word that. We are to have love at the forefront. Um, we are to love the truth. We are to have a life that is laid down for the sake of Christ. And part of that laying down is thinking, again, thinking more highly of others than ourselves. And this includes sharing the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ with others no matter what the cost may come to us, because when we love people more than we love ourselves, then we won't hide our light under a basket. We won't shy away from sharing the truth and speaking the truth in love to people and sharing the good news of the gospel, sharing the word of God with them so that they know and they understand what the truth is. 
In Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, another well-known passage that many of us like. Again, another beautiful passage that I like. We are again encouraged through the words of Paul, through the words of God that are divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so we see here that over and over, we can find many other passages, but the Christ-centered life is a crucified life, is a transformed life, it is a selfless life. Does that mean that we don't take care of ourselves? No, that's not what that means. When we're in circumstances and situations where we are even in, in inconvenienced, but that we're in a moment of putting someone else's needs above our own, then we want to demonstrate that we are submitted and surrendered to Christ. We are demonstrating that, just like Ephesians 2.10 says, that we were created for good works. We're not saved by good works, but we're created for good works because we're God's workmanship. And so over and over again, I think it's just so it's so encouraging when we focus on Scripture. And I would encourage you to do this, even in the Old Testament. I'm reading this book, another book right now. I told you, I read more than one book at one time. My husband can testify to this, and it's, it's silly, the amount of books that I have. This other book that I'm reading right now is called Jesus on Every Page. And it's actually focusing on Jesus in the Old Testament and helping to see that the Old Testament is not to be forsaken or to be brushed to the side because it is it is foretelling of the, the Messiah. And it is demonstrating that Jesus was there along. And of course, we know that because he's not a created being. He's the son of God. Something to think on there about the Christ-centered life. Another area that the Christ-centered life is to be a studious life. What do I mean by that? Well, when you think about being a believer, one of the things that we are to do is that we are to meditate on the Word of God. We are to, as, as I just read in Colossians 3, that we are to have the Word of Christ dwelling within us richly. Because when we have the Word of God written on our hearts, hearts that have been made into flesh by God, that they've been softened and that they have been transformed from hearts of stone to hearts of flesh, and his, his word is written on our heart. For one thing, we will know how to walk in his ways. We will know how to walk in the truth of his word and will be truly led by the spirit of God when we're understanding the word of God. You know, one of the things that um, I noticed just as an observation and a little rabbit trail, as someone who was in the prophetic movement before, um, what I see is that there is such a desire to want to hear something new and something fresh and to demonstrate that people have relationship with God. But sadly, what happens, though, not always, but I will say it's probably highly prevalent, is that many probably haven't bothered to even read the, the written word of God first and foremost to make sure that they are in right relationship with God in accordance with what the word says and testifying of Christ. And, and I think that that's a really sad commentary in the, in the body of Christ, if, if that's the case with people that are truly born again. That if we're not reading the Word of God, but we're always looking for something new and something fresh, and we want to prove that we have intimacy or fellowship with Christ by something new, but then we don't know what His Word says, and then we don't even realize or recognize that, that we're doing something that is in violation of what His written Word says— then we're really not cultivating the proper fellowship and relationship with Christ. 
And so part of, part of being a, um, Christ, having a Christ-centered life is being studious. It's a studious life that we are told to study the Word of God. We're told to meditate on it. Psalm 119 is the longest psalm in, in the book of Psalms. And I would encourage you to also, any scripture I mention, I'm going to encourage you to read it because it's the Word of God. But over and over again, you see the psalmist talking about the Word, the law, the testimonies, the precepts, the statutes, the commandments, the righteous rules, the Word, going over over and over again, how he talks about, um, my soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. When I told of my ways, you answered me. Teach me your statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts, and I will meditate on your wondrous works. My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Put false ways far from me and graciously teach me your law. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I set your rules before me. I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Let me not be put to shame. I will run in the way of your commandments." And this was, um, by the way, this was Psalm 119, verses 25 through 32. But this psalmist continues to, to go on and saying this. And this is where we see um, the well-quoted verse that uh, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And he talks again, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. You can't understand the, the, how to keep yourself from evil ways if you don't know what scripture says. And I can't either. If I don't know what God's word says, and I'm not satisfied first and foremost in in the written word that's been given as a gift to us, and in our in our in our time today that we can just go run to the store and pick up a Bible, and that we can come home and begin to read it. Whereas the people in the first century, they didn't have the Testament altogether. They had the Old Testament, but they had the letters that were dispersed to the different churches. And so one church may have had one letter, and another church had another letter, and they were relying on these to to encourage them but guess what we today now have we're so spoiled in this culture today now we have the full word of god here for us to to feast upon and to meditate upon and how many of us myself included have been guilty of saying i just don't have time i don't have time i'm so busy i've got kids to take care of i've got a house to take care of i've got a full-time job i've got to do this i've got to do that and we we neglect a gift that's been given to us to understand the heart of God, to understand his ways, his attributes, his nature, to draw closer to Christ. And with every page that we read, Old Testament, New Testament, to look and see, okay, not what's in it for me. And where am I in here? And how can I insert myself into the scriptures, though the scriptures very much encourage us as believers. But we are to again be Christ-centered as believers. So what does that mean? It's, I would encourage you, it, it means that when we go and, and read the Bible, something that would be, I think, helpful for us to do is say, okay, first and foremost, I'm going to pray before I start reading and ask the Holy Spirit to help me in, in understanding the word better and to illuminate my understanding properly. And then secondly, I'm going to read and think, how does this testify of Christ? 
or in the Old Testament, where is Christ in here? And to be in awe and in wonder, to love fellowshipping with God in reading his word and studying his word. So the Christ-centered life is a studious life. It's a studious life. We are called to diligently read and study the word and to also, in, in combination with that, to pray, to ask for understanding and wisdom and for a more closer and more intimate relationship with God through the Holy Spirit. This is something that is vital for us as believers to not forsake his word, his written word that has been given to us. And even if you say, I don't have time to read, well, it's wonderful news for you in the, in the world that we live in today. The technology has allowed for you to have a Bible app on your phone or your electronic device, and you can listen now. You can listen to the Bible. And so we really have no excuses anymore. We don't have an excuse, not that we ever had an excuse, but we don't have an excuse to not be students of the word and uh, partakers of the word of God and to be reading his word and steady, meditating on it and thinking on it of what it means and having better understanding and how does this apply to me as a Christian to where I can I can glorify you, Lord? How does this apply in the day-to-day life in, in showing um, that I belong to you, that my life is centered upon you and not on anything else and not anyone else? Um, The Christ-centered life is a worship-rich life. It's full of worship. And I don't mean just songs. (laughs) You know, a lot of times, uh, many of us think about worship, and our first, first thought, our first train of thought is song. We, we immediately put something to a tune, and we think, oh, that's worship. But your life is meant to be worship. That is a facet of worship. Praise, praising and worshiping God in, in song is a facet of worship, but worship is also in how you treat your spouse, how you treat your children, how you conduct yourself on your job, how you, uh, you know, I'm reminded even the daily, day-to-day things I do around the house now, uh, being a housewife, taking care of the house, doing the daily things that I do, homeschooling our daughter, getting things that my husband needs, doing the things that need to be done that are benefiting our family or benefiting someone else in the family. And again, putting someone else's needs above my own. That's actually worship because when we're doing things as Colossians says, and in all that you do, whether in word or deed, do them unto the Lord, do them unto the Lord. Because we are pouring out our lives unto God and we want to glorify him in all that we do, even in the things that we consider mundane in the day-to-day normal life of a human being and as a believer. We are to um, do, do things in excellence unto the Lord. We are to, to do everything unto him. And so that's a facet of worship. When we talk about the aspect of music, don't reserve that just for Sunday mornings. Make it a lifestyle when you're at home and and you may say, well, I can't carry a tune. Well, it's okay. Then turn on worship music or praise music and make it a part of your day, whether it's five minutes, 10 minutes or whatever. Make sure that you are offering up that song to the Lord, the, the worship and the praise unto God. And to make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Scripture tells us, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. We have many reasons to be thankful and rejoice. And even in the times when we are having great difficulty, there is always a reason to thank God. And that comes again when we are thanking the Lord, even when it hurts and it's hard 
we are still demonstrating that's the Christ-centered life. Because a believer is truly focused on the on Jesus Christ in any season of life, in any moment, in any circumstance. And I'll share this as far as in general with uh, being someone who dealing with the areas of life. And I was thinking a little bit as I've been reading that book, Respectable Sins, from the biblical standpoint, I think about my own life and even in the past um, several years of the changes that have taken place. And I've noticed in myself that it started becoming even more evident to me. I became more and more convicted of even things. When I say sin, I mean, some people think, oh, you're just doing all this kind of hard. This is more of when I can relate very much to this book that I'm reading so far, Respectable Sins. And I think many of us can, because one of the things that I had noticed in my own life, um, a couple years ago, it's gotten much better. But when everything was going on in our family, and then there were other things that just piled on and continued to happen and were really concerning moments, there was um, a lot of worry and anxiety that over that overwhelmed me that overtook me. And it was a season in my life where um, I would sit and I would just cry. I mean, I would just, and I would think of the worst case scenario that I could possibly think of because it seemed like at that moment, it was the worst case scenario that was going on in our, in our, in our lives because of the things that we were enduring. I remember just being so overwhelmed by this feeling of worry and anxiety and wanting to hold tight, even though I felt like I was letting go of those, those areas that were causing worry and anxiety I was still holding on to them because in some way I thought I was able to control them, but I wasn't able to control them. I think it, I think some of it was a, a death, again, of the self, of some of the things that I once believed about trying to control situations and command and demand. And, you know, I've talked about that before in other episodes about learning how to biblically pray and things. And, and I hope this helps uh, one of you all as well as you're hearing me ramble on about this. But I remember going through that and it was a real feeling of worry and anxiety um, of the fear of the unknown what could happen and thinking on those things and then now continuing to realize well that's sinful to to have those types of things to worry because that's not trusting the Lord that anxiety um, scripture tells us in Philippians 4 Paul Paul talked about being anxious and then time later on he was encouraging a fellow believers and, and probably even encouraging himself to not be anxious about anything but in everything we are to take our petitions uh, to God we are to make our requests known and that we are to offer thanksgiving and then uh, Philippians 4 goes on to say in that in that area in verse 6 says and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, shall guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. And so we are instructed and commanded in the word to not be anxious about anything. And worry is is a sin. It's worry is not trusting God. And so that's a respectable sin, in case anyone's wondering. That could be considered um, a respectable sin. And I can also tell you, too, another area I'm just telling on myself today, because I'm continuing to learn more and more 
uh, every grow and grow every day in understanding what it means to have a Christ-centered life. Because, you know, contrary to what um, some people may be shocked to hear this, I don't have it all together. And there's some days that I'm sure my highlight reels would be horrible if they were played on my Facebook stories. But one of the things that I've really had to um, contend with is dealing with frustration um, slash anger when it comes to my kids, to our kids. As far as they're young and there's, uh, for people that have young children, and maybe you have perfect little angels and maybe never had any problems, but when you have, um, when you're stay at home and you have a two-year-old son who is high energy and can't really tell you what he wants right now, except he just rambles on, like jabbers on, but still working on figuring out what he's saying. And then, um, also has, uh, wants to, and he's a button pusher. I mean, not in a physical sense, although he does that, but he's a button pusher as far as really testing me. Our daughter is also very intelligent and smart, but she's also, you know, six years old. They're still, they're still young. And so the things I've had to work through and repent before the Lord, and I've even at times when I've expressed frustration before them and to them, I've had to go to my daughter who understands, and I've repented to her and asked her to forgive me when I've gotten frustrated or gotten angry. And that has been a humbling thing to recognize because that's sinful behavior. And so that's one of those, quote, respectable sins that Jeff Bridges was talking about. But to bring this all back full circle to say this is that that's part of the Christ-centered life is, again, recognizing our need for Christ, submitting to his instruction, submitting to what his word says, being corrected by his word, being corrected and disciplined by the Holy Spirit, and realizing that God is a good father and that he corrects those that belong to him. He chastises those that he loves. And so the past few years, those are some of the areas that God has been really working to discipline me and correct me um, and and to bring me low in a, in a good way. It's been a humbling thing, but it's a good thing because it's conforming me to Christ's image. And there's things that we all deal with that... Um, that we may think are not as bad as another person, but it all comes back to recognizing that we are to submit to God's instruction and that we are to bring ourselves low and to humble ourselves and ask God to help us in those points of weakness, those points of sinful behavior, and to conform us to his image. And so he's faithful to do that. Sorry, I kind of got sidetracked a little bit because we're talking about worship. But I'm also, I think it does go hand in hand with that too, because I began to realize as well in growing in that relationship with the Lord and growing in spiritual maturity in those in those areas that um, those were severe weaknesses. And when I am glorifying Christ in my in word and deed and conduct, not because I have to, but because I desire to because of who I belong to, then I begin to realize in every area of that that I'm worshiping unto the Lord. I'm testifying of Christ. And I'm as I'm being conformed to his image, I'm giving glory to him in in that even in those simple things in conduct. I don't know if that helps anybody. Forgive me for rambling on if that didn't help anybody. 
Another thing I wanted to mention, too, is that the Christ-centered life that we must not forget is a spirit-filled life. Now, when people hear spirit-filled, they immediately, depending on what they've been taught and what they've sat under for years, when you hear spirit-filled, you immediately think it's someone that speaks in tongues. That's not what I'm talking about, and that is not the evidence of someone being spirit-filled. And scripture, and I've talked about this in other episodes too, and there's other people that have talked about this far better than I have. But the spirit-filled life, the the Christ-centered life is a spirit-filled life. And this, it also couples with this, is it, it's part of being filled with, with the spirit at the moment of salvation, but then we're also continuously being sanctified and we're being um, conformed into the image of Christ and we're being um, led into spiritual maturity. One of the scriptures that comes to mind in this is in Ephesians and it's in uh, Ephesians chapter five beginning in verse 15. It says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Verse 18, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. The main focus right there is in verse 18, to not be drunk with wine, but to be filled with the Spirit. And when you look up that word filled there, it's actually a, um, a continual process. It's a call to spiritual maturity. That's not talking, by the way, about holy laughter or anything like that. It's making a distinction between someone who is being led in spiritual maturity and someone who is still in, under the influence of the, the worldly things and that they are being led away and led astray into a different direction that doesn't lead to Christ. Whereas being spirit-filled, the Christian who has this, the Christ-centered life is spirit-filled. At the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit comes to indwell us. And then as we go, we want to continue to walk in spiritual maturity, being filled with the Spirit and, and growing in that knowledge and that understanding and growing in spiritual maturity to where we're, we're again, we're glorifying Christ in all that we do and that we are focused on Him that we're focused on him. We're not focused on demons, though we know that there are demonic entities. We know that Satan exists. We're not focused on the world and everything that's going on, though we know that there's things going on that are serious and that they need attention and people need to hear the gospel. We need to be praying, but we are always focusing and centering back on Christ, on Jesus Christ the author and finisher of our faith, according to Hebrews 12. We are always focused on him. We are, again, as Colossians 3 was saying, and Alistair Begg was reading much earlier on, we are keeping our mind on Christ. We are setting our gaze upward. We are fixing our mind on things that are above, not on this world. And he is there. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. And we are to keep our focus and our mind and our gaze and our intentions on him. We are to keep our direction aimed at him and to glorify him in everything we do. I'm sure there are many other facets of our life that you could probably point out that I've missed about having a Christ-centered life. I'm sure that we could even think of on the fact of we walk outside every day and we take in the the beauty of the things that God has made, the creation itself that God has designed, and that we can see the hand of a divine creator all over every bit of creation 
from from the the trees to the mountains to every living creature that that walks and crawls and flies on this earth and swims. Those are all things that we can look at and we can go back and say, yes, this actually testifies of Christ because he is the divine creator. The, the, the entire world was made through him and for him and nothing exists without him. And Colossians talks about this. Um, you know, one could even argue that Genesis, the, the main focus of Genesis is in the fact that there is, uh, a divine creator, and also to that the first prophecy about Christ is given in Genesis 3, even after the fall. So even that becomes Christ-centered. The fall is not the focus. It becomes there will come a Messiah that will redeem and that he will restore things and reconcile and that he will cleanse from unrighteousness. So there's many things that we could talk about, but I hope that this um, helps. And then in closing, I wanted to read this when I was looking some things up about have the, the Christ-centered life. In this one article, it says, no person has ever lived a perfect life except Jesus. And we see this in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. It says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin goes on to say, even those who deeply desire a Christ-centered life will stumble, fall, sin, and make fleshly decisions in moments of weakness. But a Christ-centered person cannot endure living in disharmony with God and will quickly confess sin and be restored to fellowship with Him. This process of living in continual harmony with God is called sanctification. It is a lifelong process by which God makes us more like Jesus. And when we first center our hearts on Him, our lives quickly follow. So, I want to encourage you in this today. I hope that this has been helpful, and I hope that it stirs you to go back to the Word of God. I don't want you just fixating on the things that I'm saying and just making about a certain person that you're hearing from, but make it about Christ. Go back to the Word of God. Pick out a book of the Bible that you're going to listen to every day, begin, make a decision somewhere, and don't wait till tomorrow to do it. If you haven't been in the Word, first of all, you need to get back to the Word of God. You need to get back to the written Word of God. Pick one of the Gospels. We'll begin with John. Begin to con- commit yourself every day to taking in the Word of God, to studying, to listening, to listening to godly biblical teachers that are sound in their doctrine and that they're going to lead you in the right way of understanding Scripture that is ultimately going to draw you closer to Christ and that you are going to desire every day to be conformed evermore into His image, which that's the sanctification that I talked about a minute ago. We are being sanctified. We are progressively being set apart and to ever be conformed to his image. And that's not always easy. And there may be times, as we talked about, that there may be those respectable sins that, that you realize that as, a Christ, as having a Christ-centered life, those things are areas that need to be addressed, that there needs to be repentance, and to come back to the understanding of what Scripture has to say about that so that you're you're growing in spiritual maturity and it's all about glorifying Christ. We want to glorify the Lord in everything we do. Whether you are and ultimately what we need to remember is that our life in Christ is resting upon faith in Christ. He's the one that has saved us, he empowers us, he seals us for heaven by the promise of his holy spirit and his power is the one that has that keeps us forever. And the day-to-day life of faith that we live, it grows and strengthens as we seek God in His Word. 
and through prayer. And as we unite with other Christians whose goal of Christ-likeness is similar to our own, it's a beautiful thing that we get to participate in, and it's all by the grace of God that we get to do it. I hope that this helped you today and it blessed you. And until next time, be blessed today by the truth of God's Word. Thank you for joining me on this podcast. If you would like to connect with me, you can find me on Facebook and on Instagram at Scribe. And if you enjoy reading, feel free to hop on over to lovesickscribe.com and subscribe to my blog. I've enjoyed being with you today, and I look forward to our next time together as we talk about biblical truths, current topics, and we continue to grow together in loving the Word and loving the one who is the Word, Jesus Christ. Blessings to you.